This week's scripture reading is from Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me. To the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. This is the word of the Lord. So question for you, when was the last time you received a message of good news? When was the last time you you received news that really made your heart sing? Maybe it was a job promotion, or maybe it was a marriage proposal that was accepted, or maybe pregnancy, or maybe a positive health diagnosis, or maybe you put an offer on a house and it was accepted. Something that you were hoping for and that message, that news came to you and it was good. Like We love good news, do we not? We don't want just average news. We don't want bad news. We, we want good news. That, that's what makes our hearts sing. That's what we get excited about. So the book of Galatians is really believed, and, and probably rightfully so, as the first book of the New Testament written. And it's fitting that it would be because the book of Galatians cuts right to the heart of the gospel. Cuts right to the heart of the good news of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul wrote it to the churches in the Roman province of Galatia to defend the nature of the gospel. He, he was holding out Christ crucified for them. Because since the resurrection of Jesus, the gospel has not only gone forth in power, has not, even gone through, not only gone throughout the entire world and transformed sinners like you and me, it has also been opposed Wherever the gospel has gone, there have been those who have come in and tried to teach false and distorted gospels to pull people's eyes off Jesus. And what is sobering, this should sober us, church, is that the greatest threats to the gospel don't come from out there. They come from in here. Time after time after time, and we see the New Testament, false teachers rose up within the church and started proclaiming a false gospel. And so Paul writes to this church to defend the gospel, to defend the good news, because a distorted gospel has devastating effects. At worst, it leads to death and destruction and people to hell. When it infects a church, it makes spiritually sick Christians and spiritually weak churches. False gospels, distorted gospels are devastating It's why we have to be on guard. That's why we have to be on guard for other messages of good news that would try to supplant the message of Jesus. And so as we jump into the book of Galatians this morning, and as we sort of start into this letter, start this journey that we're going to take for the rest of the fall, 
Here's the main point that I want to start us with from this passage. That the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the only good news. And so to impact this point, I want to look at sort of two ideas from this text. The first is the message of the gospel itself. What what this passage holds out to us is the gospel. And then what are some of the challenges to the gospel? Now these two ideas, these two themes, we're going to be talking about for four months. We're going to return to them time and again. But, but this, this message is sort of to kind of set the contours of the message we're going to be diving into, the true message of the gospel, but also the challenges that we face. So let's jump into this passage together and first talk about the message of the gospel. So looking at verse 1, we see that Paul introduces himself as an apostle. So an apostle was one who was given a commission. He was given a message and authority to go and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what Paul is quick to point out here is that this commission, this message, this authority that he had, as we see, is what? Not from men or through men. He wants to be very clear. Hey, the message I carry, the authority that I've been given, the mission that I am on didn't come from a bunch of dudes. It's not because I hung out with a certain crew and they said, hey, Paul, you know what? You'd be really good at traveling around the world and telling people about Jesus. You should go do that. No, he received it from whom? Who do we see? Jesus Christ and God the Father. God was giving Paul this commission. Why does Paul start with this sort of declaration? Hey, I'm an apostle and that came from God and Jesus. He's establishing something here that's going to be important for the rest of his message. He's saying, look, what I'm about to tell you didn't come from me. And he even makes that point explicitly if you jump down to verses 11 and 12, which we're going to talk about more next week. He says this, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. Paul's like, I didn't get this from men. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So right away, Paul is saying, look, what I'm about to tell you, Jesus himself gave to me. I'm not messing around with my own ideas here. This is from Jesus. And so what Paul is, he's going to push on that because here's what's at stake. This isn't just a matter of preference of teacher. This isn't just, hey, you know, I'm going to listen to, these guys listen to Paul, I listen to this other person over here. You know, to, to oppose Paul, And to oppose that message is to oppose God. And so he starts with this very important foundation that the message of the gospel is from God himself. It's speaking to the authority with which Paul speaks. And this is important because here's something we need to just come to grips with. Why this is so actually good news for us, that this message, this gospel comes from God, because you and I would not come up with this message. Like if it was on us, the good news of the gospel would not be what Jesus Christ holds out to you and I. Because as we're going to see, it would involve a lot of you and me doing stuff. And the message of the gospel is Jesus has done it. So so this is good news for us right from the beginning. Not only is this authoritative and like, hey, listen up, this is a message from God. It's also good news because it's something better than you and I would ever think of. From this greeting, Paul then turns to a pronouncement of blessing in verse 3. 
It says, grace to you in peace. Now, in Roman culture, to write a letter like Paul was writing, an epistle, it was normal to start with a greeting, start with a blessing. And so this is not necessarily something unusual for Paul to say, hey, grace and peace, or grace and joy, blessing upon you, those that I am writing. However, where he grounds this grace and peace, Paul takes this sort of convention in letter writing and he deepens it. He makes it even bigger. Yes, Paul is saying, hey, grace to you and peace, but the grace and peace that he is bringing to them comes from God and from Jesus. He's saying, the grace that I want to speak to you, the peace that I am speaking to you, the blessing that is on you in the gospel come from God himself, comes from Jesus Christ. So he's just taking this this great declaration of grace and peace and just intensified it. Hey, this is from God himself. And right here at the beginning, we see the contours of the gospel that Paul is laying out for us. This grace, this peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, that this is good news to us because grace is unmerited favor. Put put simply, receiving grace is getting something that you do not deserve. And yet that is what God has given us in Jesus Christ. He has poured out grace on us. Because here, here is the reality, here's the truth. You and me, we are rebellious sinners. Like, like though God created this world perfect, though he created man and woman perfect, we have rebelled. Sin has infected our hearts. We have decided, hey, we got this on our own, God. We are going to define good and evil on our own, God. We are going to make our own way. We don't need you. In fact, we are gonna, we're going to step away because we don't trust you. We don't think you're good. And so we're going to make our own path in the world and our hearts rebel against God who is good and holy and just. And because of that rebellion, sin has utterly wrecked us and ruined us. It has infected our heart now that we not only rebel against God, but we inflict damage and sin on one another. And so we are guilty in our sin because we are guilty of, our, of rebelling against God. We're, we're guilty of being sexually immoral. We're guilty of being those who doubt and are skeptics. We're guilty of those who chase after false religions or deny God's existence altogether. We're guilty of being religious hypocrites and racists and liars and addicts and abusers. We're manipulators. We're greedy capitalists or lazy freeloaders. The list goes on and on. We are guilty before a good and holy God. And because God is good, because God is just, he punishes sin. He brings punishment to to what has rebelled against him and has wrecked his good creation. We talked about this a few weeks ago in our psalm series, that judgment is not about God being some cranky dude in the sky. It is about the fact that he is good and he cares about justice. He cares about righteousness. He cares about peace. He cares about the fact that there is oppression and violence in our world. And so he deals with sin. He judges sin. And you and I deserve that judgment. Like, look, if you are here this morning, and I know messages of judgment can be challenging, but if the message of judgment rubs you the wrong way, hey, look, I don't know if you're paying attention. 
Like, look at what is happening in our world and tell me if there is a God and he is good, we do not deserve judgment. Yeah, sure, judge all those other people, right? <laughs> uh, fine, judge all those people, but me, I'm good. I'm good, no. If the message of judgment rubs you the wrong way, I don't know if you've been paying attention to your own heart in the ways that you have been guilty of sin. This is the truth. This is the reality that we find ourselves in. But the good news of the gospel, why the gospel is so good, is because there is grace. Meaning, in spite of our sin, even though we deserve judgment, God exercises his grace and his mercy towards us. How? Look again at verse 4. Through Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. Jesus Christ, who willingly, freely, for the joy that was set before him, gave himself for our sin. Meaning, he laid down his life, he took the punishment that you and I deserve so that you and I could be forgiven. And this was grace. Look, we didn't do something for God to go, oh man, they got it together just enough, I'm going to send them Jesus. Or, or, you know what, there's still just enough something there for them that I'm going to send Jesus. No, we didn't deserve any of it. But God, because he is gracious. And if you're trying to understand, well, why would God be gracious to me? There must be something I've done. No, don't look for it inside of you. It's because he is gracious. Full stop. His grace to you has been poured out through Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins. And the beautiful thing of this is that Christ's death isn't an accident of history. Christ's death isn't because he was a failed revolutionary. His death isn't an example of political violence inflicted on someone trying to bring change. No, Jesus' death was an atonement, payment for you, your sin, and for mine. He took the full wrath of God on himself, stood in our place, and the beauty of this is that when we trust in Christ, now there's not only grace, there's peace. Peace. It means that that enmity that was between you and between God and you, that, 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 the fact that you were at one time in rebellion and in war with God, you were God's en- enemy, now you're at peace with God. And in fact, as we're going to see in Galatians chapter 4, it says you're a child of God. You're a son, you're an heir, an heir of glory. So it's not just that God forgives you, he brings you into his family and he gives you this incredible inheritance. That's what it means to be at peace with God. This is what Christ accomplished through the gospel. And so hear the good news of the gospel this morning. Hear the good news of grace and peace and that these have been poured out in Christ. And so for those of you who have been sexually immoral, those of you that have been doubters and skeptics and atheists and followers of false religion, those of you that have been religious hypocrites and racists and liars and addicts and abusers, those of you that have manipulated others, abused others, those of you that have been greedy, those of you that have been lazy, Jesus Christ offered himself for you. And if you put your faith in Christ, you can know grace and forgiveness and peace. You didn't deserve it, you didn't earn it, but yet he did it for you. In love, there is not a sin that you have committed or could commit that could keep you from the grace of God. 
I don't care how bad it has gotten. I don't care how dark that pit has gotten for you, how far you have sunk. The grace of God reaches right down into that pit. The blood of Christ goes further than any sin. The mercy of God goes further than anything you have ever done and pulls you out, rescues you, redeems you. Because God is gracious. God is merciful. God is loving. That is the hope of the gospel for us. God's salvation knows no limitations. There's no person he can't redeem. This is the good news that is held out for us. This is the good news that is proclaimed in Christ. This is the good news that Paul was fighting for. At the same time, we also see that the gospel is not just about forgiveness, that that, that we're forgiven for a reason. So again, going back to verse four, he gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. There's deliverance here. Christ died, his death and resurrection forgives us, but it also delivers us from evil. So, So what's inside of that? Well, this is a very condensed statement that is just full of powerful meaning. It means that Christ delivers us from the power and influence of evil both inside and in this world. You see, when you are brought into relationship with Christ, when you receive Jesus and believe in Jesus, following Jesus by faith, you become united to him. And the life of Christ now is in you. And he is working great renewal in your heart so that you are being transformed into the image of Christ as you can walk in righteousness and goodness and truth that the power of evil that once held your heart captive, you are now set free. And it no longer has control over you. You no longer have to be victim to its power, victim to that slavery. He rescues you, he forgives you, he cleanses you, he renews you, he pulls you out of the hell of brokenness and shame and dysfunction and sin. That's what it means to be delivered by the power of the gospel. But he also rescues us from the evil of this present age. He rescues us from the evil that we see in our world, that we experience in our world. And look, we we see it, don't we? Can we agree on that? We, We see that this world is broken and it is evil. And that there is pain and there is oppression. And we try so hard to fix things on our own. Our world is clamoring and fighting and ranting and raging in the pursuit of justice and peace and wholeness. It's kind of funny, but but, but we think we we can achieve peace through ranting and raging. We try everything. We try politics and we try law and we try protests and we try education and we try economics and we try science and we try technology and we try medicine And look, those things are good, but they do not accomplish what the gospel alone can accomplish. They are not good news. They're okay news. We'll we'll grant that they are gifts to us from God, but they are not the good news of the gospel. They are not what is going to save us. They are not going to be what delivers us from evil and fix what's broken in our world. The good news of the gospel is that not only our sins can be forgiven, but that Christ is going to bring justice to this world and bring renewal and redemption. 
He's going to bring justice to all who perpetuate and perform evil and oppression. As 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, when Christ returns, he's going to destroy every rule and authority and power that has opposed him. Even death, he will end. And he is going to renew, restore what he made good. Never for sin to infect, never for sickness and disease ever to infect. He's going to establish righteousness and justice and goodness and truth forever. And here's what the good news is. That that following Jesus, believing the gospel, isn't like, hey, I want to escape from this world. It's the hope that a new world is coming and is going to renew and restore. So it's not escape. It's hope. It's renewal. It's restoration. It's newness. That is the deliverance that Christ is going to bring. And so for us to believe the gospel, for us to take hold of the gospel, is our eyes set on that hope. To to, to know that it is not just the forgiveness of our sins, but it is a comprehensive renewal of all things. I love this quote from Tim Keller, and I, I know I've shared it before, but it's one that I think is worth returning to. He says this, When we look at the whole scope of the Bible storyline, we see clearly that Christianity is not only about getting one's individual sins forgiven so that we can go to heaven. That is an important means of God's salvation, but not the final end or purpose of it. The purpose of Jesus' coming is to put the whole world right, to renew and restore the creation, not to escape it. It is not just to bring personal forgiveness and peace, but also justice and shalom to the world. It's big. It's comprehensive. It covers everything. That is the good news of the gospel. That is why Christ gave himself. That is the grace and peace that come to us through Jesus and God the Father. And guess what? This has been his plan all along. Like I said before, the the death of Christ was not an accident in history. In eternity past, God purposed to send Jesus to save us. His grace and peace are not accidents. His grace and peace are not something he reluctantly and begrudgingly gives to us. Oh, I suppose I'll just do it. No, he planned to do that. An eternity passed before you even existed, before you had done anything in life. God set his love on you. God set his grace and his peace and his mercy on you. God has always purposed to show his love for us. And here's another thing we need to recognize and maybe correct Like, look, this is not how it works. This is not as if God is over here, kind of this angry crank, and then here's Jesus in the middle saying, hey, hey, calm down, calm down. I'll I'll die for them so that you you can be okay with them. No. God's posture here is, I love you, sinner. Jesus, go save them. He sends Jesus in love. That was his purpose. And this is why Paul breaks out into praise and declares to him be the glory forever and ever. But Paul, in this greeting, is so caught up with the grace and the peace that has come to us through Jesus Christ that God the Father has planned in eternity that he just stops and he breaks out into worship. That is unusual for a letter. That usually comes at the end, but Paul can't help it. He can't wait for it. He's going to worship right there because the grace and the peace, the good news of the gospel is so good. And this is what we need to take hold of, that salvation begins and ends with God. 
It is all of grace, all of his love. It is salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Nothing to do with our works. Nothing to do with our righteousness. Nothing to do with our performance. Nothing to do with us cleaning ourselves up and making ourselves presentable. No, it's all of God. To him be the glory forever and ever. Is this the gospel you hold to? Is this the good news you are holding to? Or is it another gospel? If this is the gospel that is held out for us, what are some of the challenges? After pronouncing this gospel blessing, Paul's tone makes an immediate shift in verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. I'm astonished. I'm amazed. I'm perplexed. I'm concerned that you're so quickly. It just seemed like yesterday you had grabbed hold of this gospel with joy, and now you're already deserting him who called you by his grace. Again, Paul is making this very clear. You're deserting God. This is not preference for me. This is not you're deserting me and I'm personally hurt. You're deserting God. You're deserting the glorious gospel of Jesus given for our sins. Jesus resurrected. Jesus delivering us from this present evil age. Galatians, what are you doing? I am astonished that you so quickly desert. And then as he goes on in verse 7, there isn't another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Paul says, I'm astonished you're chasing after another gospel, but let's just be clear here for a second. There isn't another gospel. It's not as if the message of salvation is a spiritual buffet you can just sort of pull up to and choose what works best for you. No, there's one gospel, one good news, and you're deserting that. You're turning your back on the one thing that can truly save you. So what is the distorted gospel that the Galatians were starting to believe? Well, we'll see this a little bit in more detail later in the letter. But essentially, false teachers had come into this church They'd followed Paul after Paul had planted this church, established it, and then he had left. They came in after him and started saying, yeah, you know, believing in Jesus is right. You need to do that. But you also need to be circumcised. You also need to follow the practices of the law. So faith in Christ, yes, but you also have to do fill in the blank. It was Jesus plus. It was Jesus plus taking on a particular identity. It's Jesus plus performing and certain moral practices. Faith in Christ was not sufficient. It only took you so far. And here's what's underneath that. It gets right back to that tendency you and I have to perform. You and I, we say we don't like to earn things. We, we like free stuff. But at the end of the day, no, we actually like to perform. Because we, we want to, to feel good about ourselves. We want to sort of have this identity that, hey, I'm capable and I can do things and I've earned this because we think that gives us worth and value. There's also pride in that too. Look at me, look what I've done. So we're so prone to want to add to things, to, to put our works, our goodness, look at, look at what I'm capable of in this. And sometimes that's subtle. 
Sometimes that comes through with a lot of self-pity on the surface, but underneath we want to perform. Here's what else. What is also underneath that false teaching, Jesus plus, is Jesus is means to the end, not the end itself. Jesus isn't the point. Jesus is a way to get me to something else. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus is the point. Jesus is the end. Jesus plus is, hey, Jesus, help me get what I want. Help me be a good person. Help me perform well. That is underneath. And these Galatians were buying into it. They were chasing a false gospel. Look, we read this and we might think, man, how do they do that? Oh, yeah, foolish Galatians, why, why would you run so quickly after false teaching? We would never do that. We, we understand God, the sal- salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We're a gospel-centered church. But let's not be so arrogant and prideful. <clears throat> Look, if you read in the book of Acts, when Paul went to these churches in Galatia, he had a ton of success. Like he planted some churches. These people loved him. These people responded to the gospel. It was powerful. We would be like, that's revival. But just like that, they fell into this temptation. Just like that, they started believing false teaching. Look, we receive the gospel with joy, and I'm so thankful for you, church, that we are a community built on the gospel, loving the gospel, growing in the gospel, wanting to be the center. But we have to be careful because we are so prone to this false teaching. We're so prone to chase after this gospel of Jesus plus. We're not immune to the temptation. And so what false gospels do we listen to? So Pastor Ray Ortland in his book, A Passion for God, does this very interesting thought experiment to to try to help us identify false gospels among us. He asks this, what might our evangelicalism without the evangel look like? We would have to replace the centrality of the gospel with something else, naturally, so that So what might take the place of the gospel in our sermons and books and Sunday school classes and home Bible studies and above all in our hearts? Like if we more or less held the same political convictions and moral convictions and cultural practices, but we lost the centrality of Christ and the gospel, what what might become our focus? So Pastor Orland offers a few suggestions He said this could become our focus, maybe encouragement and affirmation of self-esteem, or maybe an empathetic and sympathetic affirming interpersonal relationships. That's what's important. Or maybe what becomes center is a deep concern for the family, or maybe pro-life causes or the determination to gain political power to take America back to its Christian roots, or maybe church growth through seeker-sensitive strategies and and sort of consumeristic offerings of programs because we want the church to grow. Look, those are issues in churches that quote-unquote have the gospel, right? These are things that we can become very tempted to put at the center. Now look, to some degree, every one of those things is good. To some degree. There's ways they go sideways. But they're not the center They're not what saves us. They're not good news. 
But when Christ and the gospel are not the center, when they're not the good news, it's very easy to start pulling these things in. And so we can be tempted to make these things the focus. Look, we don't have to believe this doctrinal statement that says Jesus plus to functionally live Jesus plus. Let me say that again. Look, you may be able to affirm, if, if I were to say, hey, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, you could jump up and say, amen, that's what I believe, and functionally live Jesus plus. And we need to be careful. We need to be mindful of the ways that we live Jesus plus. Jesus, yes, but what was really important is my morality, being a good moral person. So Jesus is a means to that end. The good news for me is being a good person. That's my hope. That's my salvation. Jesus, yes, but what really is important is having a strong family. So Jesus is the means for me to have a good marriage and be a good parent. The good news for me, my salvation and my hope is my family. Jesus, yes, but what's really important is having good interpersonal relationships. Jesus is the means to me to find friendship and people to belong to and to relate well with others. So the good news for me, my hope, is to be accepted by other people. Any of this resonating? Jesus, yes, but what is really important is being successful in work, financially successful. Jesus is a means to to help me earn and, and, and to get what I want, to be successful and good and a hard worker. The good news for me, my hope, is success. Jesus, yes, but what's really important is that America holds on to its Christian roots. So Jesus is a great way to grab political and cultural power. And so the good news of the gospel for me is Christians are in office. Jesus, yes, but what is really important, man, we get people to church. So so we want to hold out the the stuff that Jesus said that, that will really make people excited but, but let, let's not talk about the whole repentance thing. Let's not talk about that Christ is the only way. Let's not talk about turning from sin. Let's not talk about taking up your cross and following Christ. Let's leave sort of the, the difficult parts on, on the side, right? Because what is good news for us is that we build a big church and that everybody's happy. Or maybe you're in this room and you're like, you know what? None of that really resonates because I don't really follow Jesus. Okay, so maybe for you, the good news is this gospel of success or relationships, or maybe it's self-actualization, meaning you want to express yourself and be free to to do all the things that are in your heart and all the things that you want to do and figure out who you are and build that identity out. And and yeah, you've heard of Jesus and you heard Jesus said some good things and she will kind of pull a few things in there maybe. But look, you're following a gospel. Because the good news for you is whatever you think is going to save you, whatever is going to bring you hope, whatever you think is going to bring you peace, we're all chasing a gospel. We're all after a good news of something. And we can tell by the things that, give a, that take our time, our focus, our energy, our worship, the things that when they don't go our way, we fall apart. 
they also become the things we start making demands of others in. Like you have to behave in a certain way. You have to follow my version of morality. Or if your marriage isn't good, I start to judge you. Or you're not a very good parent, your, your kids are a little bit unruly, I start to judge you. You don't do schooling the way I do, well, I'm going to judge you. You're not married, well, there must be something wrong with you. Or I'm only going to be in community with people who meet my needs and make me feel good. Only people who, who pour into me make me feel comfortable. Or I need to be acknowledged as successful. I judge people who aren't successful. And I really want people who are going to sort of reflect that I'm a successful person, remind me I'm a successful person, and make me feel good about what I've accomplished. Or we blast all day long people who don't vote like we do, as if voting was the gospel. So church, this comes in many shapes and forms. It is something that can be so subtle. It is something that can can take root in our heart and we're not even necessarily aware of it until the light of the gospel, the true gospel, God's word and his spirit break through and say, hey, where's your hope? What, What is really good news to you? These aren't gospels. These aren't good news. Look, these are like, have you ever gotten like an email or a mailer that says, hey, you've won a free trip. You've won, won $10,000. And you're thinking, wow, that's good news. Someone wants to just give me something free. And then you read the fine print like, oh, I've got to do this thing and 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 this thing in order to get it. That's not good news, right? That's a bait and switch. That's saying, hey, you'll get this if you perform in this certain way. That's what false gospels do. That's what distorted gospels do. They hold out promise. They hold out good news. But then when you read the fine print, you see, oh, no, actually, you need to perform in all these different ways. It's not grace. It's not mercy. It's not God's love. It's back on what you can do. Look, these things can't save. They can't bring forgiveness. They can't give you that that sense of peace. They cannot truly fix what is broken in us, in our world. They only give you an identity as good as your performance rather than identity you can rest in and is secure. Over and over and over again, they will fail you. The gospel of Jesus Christ alone is good news. In Christ alone do we find full forgiveness. In Christ alone do we find full acceptance and love. In Christ alone do we find grace and peace freely given with no hidden fees, no small prints. In Christ alone do we find an identity that isn't dependent upon our performance. In Christ alone do we find the hope of true, full, deep transformation and the hope that one day this world will be set right. Paul is fired up because he knows in Christ alone is there good news. And this is why he comes so strongly in verses 8 and 9. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Like, look, Paul isn't pulling any punches. He says this, like, I don't care if an angel comes to you. I don't care if I come back to you later. 
If I am preaching a different gospel than the one that I presented to you, the one that Christ gave me, let me be accursed. Let that angel be accursed. The word accursed there is, in in the Greek, it's anathema. Maybe you've heard this. That's like, be cut off, judged. Like Paul had no time for this false teaching because he knew what was at stake. And he said, even if I do it, don't listen to me. And so here we have before us two gospels. We have a distorted gospel and we have the true gospel. And I want to be clear, like what Paul is saying here, here, we need to understand sort of what camp we're in here for a second. Like Paul is pronouncing cursing on those who would teach a false gospel. Those who willfully know they're distorting it, even after they've been corrected, and they still keep doing it, them, he says, are cursed. For those who are weak and will believe it, he says, foolish Galatians. He calls them foolish, unwise, undiscerning. And so for, for those of us who are teaching a false gospel, well, whether it be in our words or in the way we live and we're trying to pull others into that and we get corrected and we still don't do it and we still insist, no, Jesus plus, God's word has very, very strong words for you and invites you to repent and turn from that false gospel. For those of us who are being drug away, whether it be by our own hearts or by the teaching of others, God's word says, hey, foolish one, come here. Turn from false gospel. Come back to the good news. Put your hope in Christ and Christ alone. Find forgiveness and joy and freedom and acceptance and identity and renewal and rest. Like how many of you are just tired of trying to perform has anybody ever get there? I, I was there a lot this week, so I'm, maybe I'm just feeling this, but does anybody ever just get tired of the stuff that comes out of your heart telling you you have to be something in order for people to accept you? Or you have to perform in a certain way for God to like you or love you? Or that if you don't hit all the religious actions and pray for a certain amount of time or read this Bible, that you're really not a good Christian? Are you tired of being beat up by that cycle that the world tells you, hey, you've got to be this. You've got to be successful. You've got to have it together. Your family needs to look like this. Your marriage needs to look like this. Look, we want good things. We want good marriages and good parenting. We want to be successful in our work. We want to live lives of righteousness. But look, we are not our hope. Christ is what he has done. That is the good news. And so church, as we venture through this book, over and over and over again, God's word is going to call us to put our faith in Jesus alone, the promises of the gospel alone. Him alone is our hope. And so as we venture through this, I encourage you to go before the Lord Get in his word, spend time in prayer, not to prove anything, not to gain his acceptance, but so that he can speak life-giving truth to you and root out the false gospels in your heart. And if going through this study, we are set free from performance. If we're set free from trying to gain acceptance from one another, if we're set free from trying to run around on this hamster wheel of life, trying to earn everything, and just rest in Christ, that's a great four months. (laughs) 
And I promise the power of God will be experienced in your life and in this church in some profound ways. So that's what I want to commit to. This is what is at stake. This is what God holds out for us. Can we enter into that with faith and with hope, knowing that there is grace and peace poured out for us? Amen.